Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day. I hope you had a great Mother's Day. We're ready to kick things off. We'll talk weather. Plenty to talk about there. Really wet in some places. Been kind of chilly in uh, other places for this time of year. What's ahead for us? We'll talk with DTN senior meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Lots going on with the markets. China staying active. What about these lumber prices? What about inflation concerns? We'll talk about all that with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. Strong ag equipment sales numbers for the first quarter. We'll talk with Kurt Blades with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers about uh, those latest numbers and the trend that they are seeing. All that coming up on a busy program today. But we're glad to start things off with Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, good to talk with you. And uh, the president has made these spending proposals and these big plans. Now he has to sell them, right? That's right. Good morning, Mike. Always a pleasure to be with you. And this week we're going to be watching some of those negotiations as President Joe Biden tries to recruit a few Republicans that could perhaps be on board with his new big infrastructure proposal. Of course, we know it's more than just what we traditionally see as infrastructure. It goes far beyond roads, bridges, and waterways. But um, one of the things that I think we'll be watching for is not only the outreach to Republicans, but whether the pay-fors change. Because as uh, AgriPulse reported last week, We've got 13 rural Democrats who are also opposed to the tax package that comes along with this, especially the inheritance tax and the stepped-up basis changes. So he really can't afford to lose those 13 Democrats uh, if he's going to move anything forward. And we've talked about this. You can see this coming. that Democrats in rural areas were going to have to deal with this issue. They were going to get pushback from their constituents concerned about these tax proposed changes. So uh, something will have to be done to really assure people that uh, agriculture is indeed as protected as the administration is saying they will be. Well, that's absolutely right. You know, we're all looking at the midterms now. Just get past mm-hmm. the presidential uh, and into the midterms and whether or not the House will flip. And so those 13 Democrats that are in, many of them are in uh, districts that uh, were, you know, had strong Trump support. So they're going to be wanting to keep their jobs. And in doing so, they're going to want to protect their farmers and ranchers from these big changes in estate taxes and inheritance taxes. On infrastructure, the Republicans have offered a more targeted plan, more of, as you referred to, the the traditional definition of of infrastructure. So you you have competing plans there. Does that Republican plan have any chance at all in a democratically controlled Congress? Well, uh, Leader McConnell from Kentucky has said that they're prepared to support a $600 billion more nearly focused infrastructure plan. And I don't think this has a chance as is, 
but this is where perhaps there's some room for negotiation. And if they could keep it below $1 trillion, I think you might see some Republicans that were eager to say, yeah, we, we might be able to support this. So it's kind of a starting point for the Republicans at that $600 billion. And again, they want it to be more narrowly focused on what we might traditionally see as infrastructure. But there's meetings uh, throughout this week, especially Thursday, where we're going to be watching when Biden meets with people like Roy Blunt and Crapo of uh, Idaho, Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania, um, Brasso of Wyoming. I mean, there's a group of them that are coming together. So we'll see whether this interest in bipartisanship is, is real. And then whether or not it can pass a, you know, uh, evenly divided Senate and bring along these House Democrats that we talked about earlier. Now we're watching this 30 by 30 proposal, or as the administration now calls it, the America, the beautiful program. And so far, the people we've talked to in agriculture uh, are cautiously optimistic because the administration is using words like voluntary uh, as the approach to this. So that that's something agriculture likes, but we're still way short on specifics and details, aren't we? We are, and I think uh, American Farm Bureau President Dippy Duvall kind of nailed it on the head when he described it as a philosophical document mm-hmm. that lacks specifics, and certainly it is. You know, we all like to think about America as beautiful, and uh, I, I think that we would all like to maintain a lot of working lands conservation programs, but, you know, Mike, I was up at my farm in Iowa right before the, the rains came in this weekend, and it's hard to get even the basic conservation work done. We were trying to put in a couple of dry ponds and do some some drainage tile and trying to find people who could do the work, trying to find technical assistance. It, it takes a lot of time and a lot of money to do this. So it's an ambitious proposal, but we're all waiting to see the details. Yeah, a lot of support for more funding for that technical assistance that is so much uh, so greatly needed as you just pointed out and has been for some time but there are a lot of other things in there that we're waiting to see the details on so we'll we'll watch that meanwhile uh, it's been interesting through the early days of the Biden administration there's been so much focus on the spending plans and the tax plans we haven't talked all that much about trade well it looks like we're going to start getting more conversation on that especially as uh, our U.S. trade representative Ty will be talking with counterparts in Mexico and Canada. She is, you know, and I think there's been a lot of respect for Catherine Ty, uh, but now she's got to go into some of the trenches on these difficult decisions where we had the NAFTA renegotiated as USMCA. Uh, everybody in ag thought it, for the most part, a lot of improvements, but now we've got to actually act on those improvements like biotech in Mexico and dairy in Canada. And so we'll see how she can do in making some progress. But I, th- I found it really interesting, Mike, that this week, she, or last week, she started to do a lot of outreach with ag organizations, everything mm-hmm. from Iowa Corn Growers to the Potato Council to the National Cattlemen's. Um, she's, she's doing her job of trying to build those relationships, build that support. They'll be crucial to give her that heft in those negotiations. 
Kind of like uh, EPA Administrator Regan, a lot of outreach, a lot of communication, encouraging uh, words and, and things coming from both uh, areas for agriculture. Yeah. All right, Sarah, Hi, thanks Mike. a lot as always. Appreciate it. Thanks. Good to talk with you as always. Be an interesting week ahead. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Sarah Wyant, editor, president of AgriPulse Communications. Yeah, so far, encouraging words, uh, things that agriculture likes to hear for the most part from EPA and U.S. Trade Representative's office, but we're still waiting big decisions and some tough decisions ahead, and we'll see how that goes. Up next, wow, a lot to talk about with weather across the country. DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson joins us next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Did you know that biodiesel reduces carbon emissions by 74% on average? It's the best option available today for states and cities across America looking to immediately cut carbon emissions. It's an important contribution from America's farmers to meeting the nation's carbon reduction goals right now. That's why we say biodiesel is better, cleaner, now. Learn more by visiting BetterCleanerNow.com, brought to you by the National Biodiesel Board in partnership with soybean farmers and their checkoff program. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, Farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm Radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. So the president's tax proposals have some in agriculture concerned. We're going to talk about that uh, today with Pat Wolf with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Well, there's certainly a great deal of concern about this in farm country. And we've had a record number of farmers and ranchers call their members of Congress saying how concerned they are about a new capital gains tax at death. Any tax imposed at death is problematic. It's because farmers and ranchers don't have cash in the bank to pay the tax they have to sell. Now, the American Families Plan that was put out last week has three increases in capital gains taxes in it. Yes, we can't say for sure that this is a good deal for farmers and ranchers, and we're very worried that the rules that would come along with the targeted program might not work for a lot of people. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed. And they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council.
Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Lots of weather to talk about with DTN Senior Meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right, Bryce, before we get to precipitation, let's talk temperatures. Uh, Here in Illinois over the weekend, I had to double-check the calendar to make sure it was May. I thought it might have been late March or maybe even early April. I mean, it was chilly. It has been very cool uh, over the last uh, week or so, Mike, no doubt about that. Uh, No doubt about that. Uh, There were some uh, areas of uh, frost advisories uh, in part of the eastern Midwest today, and we're going to see another shot of that uh, kind of uh, cool air uh, during uh, tomorrow, maybe even into Wednesday. And uh, then this pattern is turning milder. Uh, So that's going to be something very useful. But uh, there certainly has been a uh, a little bit of a lag in, in terms of crop development, I think, and uh, as long as we didn't have any real hard freeze conditions over most of the major crop areas, I think that we're able to, to get by okay. But, yeah, there certainly has been a slow start to things with this kind of a chill that we've had. Yeah, we need a we need a warm-up, that's for sure. All right, let's look at precipitation. A lot of areas got precipitation. How wide an area and how much? Well, it's, uh, let's go from north to, to south, so to speak. Um, in the northern plains, uh, which has been very, very dry, we all know that, uh, there's an area from uh, kind of a swath from about Mobridge, South Dakota, right along the Missouri River, uh, northwest into northeastern Montana, and then continuing on into uh, Saskatchewan, Canada, uh, that uh, has that uh, north-to-south uh, type of dimension. And then uh, on the uh, width of it, uh, you had uh, this uh, swath from about Bismarck, North Dakota, uh, southwest to maybe uh, Belfouche, South Dakota. So a fairly narrow swath, but still pretty important when you think about spring wheat that had anywhere from three-tenths to one inch plus uh, during the past weekend, especially on Saturday. And... um, now, this doesn't end the drought by any means, but uh, it certainly was useful for short-term moisture. But it's, uh, it's notable that, that uh, you get outside of that band in the northern plains and then on through the northern Midwest, and there was almost nothing that really happened. So it was a real uh, confined uh, corridor of rain that we saw. And then farther to the south, uh, from, I would say, close to Grand Island, Nebraska, uh, east all the way, Uh, to the Indiana-Ohio line, uh, there was rain of anywhere from a half to two inches uh, that formed. And uh, this was uh, some very useful moisture over quite a a large production area of the Corn Belt. Now, the the precip did not necessarily uh, make its way past U.S. Highway 20 on the north, and it also did not uh, necessarily show the heavier amounts in the northwestern part of Iowa, where we all know that it's been quite dry over quite a few months. But uh, there were quite a few other areas that uh, had that kind of precipitation. And most of the state of Iowa was in that three-quarters to one-inch-plus rainfall grouping. Uh, And then you continue on across Illinois, 
uh, much of the central third of Illinois had anywhere from one to two plus inches. I mean, this is useful moisture. Uh, there's just no getting around it. It doesn't, uh, you know, fill the soil profile for the entire season. But my goodness, it's going to buy uh, quite a bit of, uh, of uh, moisture for crops to use, you know, in this uh, early stage. Yeah, for a lot of areas that uh, were kind of on the edge and concerned about uh, dry weather patterns this year, this uh, this postpones that concern for a little while, right? Buys some more time, certainly. Uh, so much needed. Very welcome. Now, what do you see ahead now for the next uh, couple weeks? As we go through this next uh, two-week period, uh, there's going to be a few more occurrences of uh, pop-up rainfall, Mike, especially during next week. Uh, next week, we could see uh, rainfall totals uh, kind of redevelop in the, in the cumulative range of anywhere from three-quarters to an inch and a half over, again, uh, quite a bit of, that, of the central, what, uh, half to two-thirds of the major row crop areas. So I'm going to, you know, again, use uh, Interstate 70 on the southern edge from Kansas City to St. Louis, and then on the northern uh, on the on the northern boundary, I think you could possibly uh, uh, push that boundary up to Interstate 90 across Minnesota, eastern South Dakota, and then uh, toward southern Wisconsin. That's a that's a lot of country, and mm-hmm. uh, that would be uh, that would again be you know very useful. Here we go into uh, late May with uh, this kind of moisture to work with and again not coming at any in any uh, real large amount at one time which obviously would help uh, the uh, rainfall that we do get to uh, kind of percolate into that soil profile yeah if we could get a warm-up along with that precipitation we could really see uh, this crop take off and I think I think we are going to see that because uh, after we get through uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, and then certainly Wednesday, these temperatures are showing a lot more of a seasonal tendency with a lot of uh, overnight lows in the low to mid-50s and the daytime highs in the low to mid-70s. Uh, so you talk about uh, uh, adding uh, growing degree day numbers up, uh, that's going to be real useful for that. And, of course, right now is when you really want to start maximizing growing degree day totals because in the springtime, the higher growing degree day numbers are, are most useful. You know, get the crop going and, you know, going through all the early stages and so forth. So uh, that would be a, a real uh, good combination. So maybe we can really get things off and going now or get kind of kickstart them. And uh, we got, you know, we have a lot of early planted crops that are kind of, you know, we're kind of waiting to see how they're going to survive and do with all this cold weather that they've had. Well, no doubt about that. It's been frustrating. Um, I, I don't think that we've seen any, uh, any real large extent of, uh, of, of hard freeze conditions, you know, and that's, you know, that's an advantage. And we know that there's uh, a lot of resiliency that's been kind of put into uh, to variety development over the past number of years. And so I think that there is, um, you know, kind of that, that latent ability to, uh, to really take advantage of things uh, when they do improve. And, and like I say, this pattern, instead of having this uh, real intense troughing over so much of the northern half of the country this week, uh, is going to go a lot more zonal on the upper airflow. And then uh, during next week, showing just a little bit 
of uh, a week trough out over the Rockies and then working eastward uh, to uh, start drawing in a little bit of moisture out of the Gulf of Mexico, bring a few short waves uh, through the atmosphere to fire up some shower occurrences. And uh, that would be a, a pretty uh, favorable combination when you think mm-hmm. about uh, mild temperatures and a few periods of showers. Yep, sounds encouraging. Uh, what's going on in South America with that safrina corn crop? What kind of uh, weather are they getting? Well, they're, they're just kind of uh, just uh, baking, I think, at this point, because uh, most of central Brazil is just a, a big, fat donut with uh, zero in the middle uh, for rainfall. Mato Grosso, Paraná, Mato Grosso do Sul, Goiás, uh, Sao Paulo, uh, Minas Gerais, that entire uh, major uh, Safrina corn area has hardly anything on the way for precipitation this week. And along with that, temperatures still have that 3 to 8 degree above normal trend. So uh, I'll be honest, it would surprise me uh, quite a bit if uh, there isn't some USDA acknowledgement of uh, the kind of stress that they've had and a, a lower uh, total uh, Brazil corn production number when those supply-demand reports are updated on Wednesday. Yeah, we'll be watching for that. Real quick, what's your uh, any change in the summertime models here in the U.S.? A little bit more variability. June is showing uh, a a chance uh, to bring us above normal precipitation. July and August are still uh, showing below normal uh, precipitation and above normal temperatures. So uh, we're, we're kind of setting up to have June be a real key month to at least allow something uh, to uh, develop to help uh, crops kind of uh, maybe get through or endure what could be a drier trend. But I'm still concerned about what the conditions are going to be like during those critical filling uh, portions of the season for both corn and soybeans later on. Yep, timing is critical. All right, we'll watch it closely. Thanks, Bryce, for keeping us up to date. Appreciate it. Good to talk to you, Mike. Thank you. DTN Senior Meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right. Coming up next, lots to talk about with Arlen Suderman with Stone X. We'll get his market outlook, of course. We'll get his thoughts on uh, uh, China's activity and also what's going on with lumber prices and just the general economy. What about inflation concerns? All that coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at DTNPF. 
youtube.com backslash field posts. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Egg Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Last week, three fundamentals drove crop markets. All week was traded on dry weather in Brazil and cold dry weather in the U.S. Corn Belt. Towards the end of the week, another round of export demand was added, giving us three legs to a bullish seat, boosting prices. On the Board of Trade, July corn trading 10.5 cent lower at 7.21 and a half cent. The September contract down 15 and a half cent at 6.39 and three quarters for soybeans. The July contract down five and three quarters at 1583 and three quarters. The August contract down six and three quarters at 1530 and three quarters. For wheat, Chicago wheat July trading 25 and three quarters lower at 736 and a fraction. Kansas City wheat July down 22 and a half cent at 714 and a fraction. Minneapolis spring wheat July down 28 at 769 and three quarters. The September contract down 27 and a fraction at 775 and a half cent. Cattle have a lot of headwind to move against to begin this week. Traders will have no bids or offers in the cash market to provide any direction. The failed action of futures on Friday may also keep a negative tone in the market. For a recap of last week's trade, what looked like a strong follow-through from Thursday ran out of buyer interest and fell back on Friday. There was nothing to go in on the cash market as business had mostly been accomplished for the week. Box beef prices moved substantially higher, but that did not translate into cash prices. June live cattle trading 87 cents higher at 116.87. The August contract up 52 at 119.37. For feeders, the August contract up 232 at 146.60. The September contract up 210 at 148.15. For lean hogs, the July contract 42 cents lower at 113.10. The June contract down 60 at 112.25. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rawl. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor. Restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk it over with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. Arlen, thank you for joining us. Well, China stays active, don't they? Uh, what's your assessment of the what they're doing as far as moving things around in their purchases? Yeah, that, that's a good perspective right there, moving around. We didn't feel like from the start that they would be able to 
ship everything that they purchase for the current marketing year. Um, ever since um, the Lunar New Year, there's been evidence that their demand is much stronger than what we previously thought. Uh, they seem to be more panicked and worried about tightening global corn stocks and wanting to take it. But would they be physically able to do so? Would they be able to get enough ships amid the global shortage of freight of bulk ship? Operators this year, get them to turn enough cycles in order to get everything shipped. The export shipment pace has been strong in recent weeks, but we've felt like they would run out of time. So we've been expecting them to start rolling some old crop purchases into the new year. Now, the way USDA announces it is not a roll. They announce cancellations of old crop, but purchases of new crop. And uh, we've seen here over recent days that China has canceled about 16.5 million bushels of old crop corn purchases uh, while buying almost 94 million bushels of new crop. So uh, its demand is still strong. We were hearing rumors in the cash market that they were buying anywhere from 100 to 120 million bushels of new crop. Also, those rumors included uh, interest in, in buying soybeans and wheat uh, for the new crop as well. So they've been on quite a buying spree. All right. So what do you expect in the WASDE report this week? That's a good question. Um, first of all, what we do have confidence in is that USDA will use the acreage numbers for corn and soybeans from its March 31 planning intentions report. We believe that it will also use the, the trend yields from its outlook form in February. So that means limited supply. So what are they going to do on the demand side? That's a bigger mystery. Why is it a mystery? First of all, we don't know what they're going to do with Brazil's safrina corn crop. Total corn production in safrina uh, in April, USDA had a, at 109 million metric tons. Our survey-based estimate on May 1st dropped to 100 million metric tons. And this morning, Ag Rural, which is a consultancy in Brazil, uh, dropped down to 95.5 million metric tons. So that's about 600 million bushels lower than where USDA currently is. That's exportable supplies. So will USDA then transfer the bulk of that export demand to the United States, dramatically tightening up our balance sheet? I don't think so. I think what they're going to do is start recognizing the amount of wheat feeding that's going on domestically and globally. Um, and they'll start assuming lower ethanol demand and lower feed usage here in the United States along with exports. Uh, and they'll come up with something uh, more moderate than what the trade is expecting. Does that mean the market's going to be disappointed? perhaps, or it may mean that the market simply won't believe USDA, which has been the recent tendency. But that's where the big question marks is, is how much wheat feeding domestically and globally will USDA acknowledge? They've been very slow to acknowledge that in the past. And how aggressive will they get in reducing the size of Brazil's crop? I don't think the trade will believe USDA's corn production number for Brazil, but the aggressiveness of the reduction will tell the trade a lot about what future cuts we might see in production for Brazil and kind of help set the tone. So it could be a market mover, this uh, report on Wednesday? I would anticipate that it will be a market mover. The question is in which direction. We know that this is a very money-rich market with uh, computers ready to read every number that comes out. This report is 
full of a plethora of numbers since it has the first new crop balance sheet of the year in it. Um, so there's a lot that can move the computers. And then a human element will come in in the minutes that follow the computers responding to it. So I anticipate we're going to see a very volatile volatile first few minutes. The real key is where do we close on Wednesday? That will tell us a great deal about market sentiment going forward. But so far, every time we've broke this market, the buyers have been quick to start coming back in again, mostly end users, but also some spec money. Um, it, it's just amazing some of the numbers that the institutional investors and the retail traders are talking about for these crops, how high things may go. That may or may not be justifiable fundamentally, um, but as long as they believe it, and, and that might change on a dime if something else comes up to, to draw their attention elsewhere. Uh, but for now, optimism is strong on this uh, inflation play in the commodities. So we'll watch that report that was to report Wednesday. Could be a very interesting day. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with StoneX. You mentioned the word inflation. Uh, a lot of more and more people starting to raise that uh, concern that uh, with all the things that are happening right now and proposals for more big spending programs that we're headed towards higher inflation. What are you watching there? Well, there's a couple things that I'm watching. First of all, watching uh, the commodity indices that uh, track the value of the commodity sector. And StoneX has its own commodity indices that we've been developing uh, and watching the gains that we're seeing there. We're also watching the five-year break-even inflation rate, which is what the financial markets uh, believe to be inflation looking out into the future. And that's been rising about to around 2.6%. Uh, there's some indications that the CPI numbers, the consumer price index numbers to come out later this week could be as high as 3%. So those would be some significant numbers. And maybe that, that's already anticipated by the market. The next question would be, how does the Fed respond to that? If the CPI prints at 3%, will the Fed still say, yeah, it's transitory? Or will they start to acknowledge it and start talking about tapering? That may have the biggest impact on the market. If they continue to act like it's uh, don't look behind the curtain, it's just transitory, that may just kind of feed the inflation story even more. Well, we're seeing higher fuel prices, in some cases higher food prices. For some time now, we've seen much higher lumber prices. What's behind that, and how long do you think that's going to last? Yeah, good question. Uh, once again, there have been a few restrictions on the supply of lumber. Much of it has been on the strength of demand. Uh, we have a, a consumer that's been anxious to uh, get out of the COVID shutdown. Uh, we've got a lot of people who have been moving from the big cities. They had expensive homes there, so they're cash rich from the sales of those homes to move to other parts of the country to build um, on maybe a little bit of an area, a little bit more of a larger plot of land, and they want to build. Uh, we have, we've gone through over last year record low mortgage rates. Uh, and then we have this unprecedented fiscal and monetary stimulus that's put money into people's hands. And you say, well, what can $1,400 do for buying a house? But if you're uh, a family of five, $1,400 quickly turns into $7,000, uh, plus some of the tax breaks that have been given and some of the other stimulus. And all of a sudden, you have uh, your start toward the rest of the down payment money you needed to buy a house if you're a first-time homeowner or maybe upgrading 
uh, your home. And so demand for homes has been very strong. Demand for remodeling homes has been very strong. Um, and, uh, and again, it has to do with the money supply situation in the economy. And it has dramatically increased um, <clears throat> the tightness of supply in what has become almost an inelastic market for lumber right now. Because of the availability of money in our economy, people are not flinching and they're still buying homes. Now there are some home construction projects that have been put on hold as the cost of their home has gone up forty, fifty, eighty thousand dollars. But for the most part what I hear in the industry is the demand for those homes is still there and they're still building. Yeah, it's an interesting time, that's for sure. And real quick, uh, when we look at our production situation, recent rains kind of, uh, for some, there's still dry concerns in parts of the country, certainly, even though some of those areas have had some help. But uh, it seems like for the time being, uh, dry weather concerns for much of the production area has been put on hold for a while. Yeah, drought concerns have been spreading across the Midwest, and, and rains in recent days have eased those concerns dramatically for much of the central and eastern Midwest. And it's really the northwestern Midwest, again, that continues to be dry. So for Chicago, they received some good rains. That eases the concerns uh, for the central and eastern areas. Northwestern areas, that's still a big issue. Uh, we're also looking at uh, some good moisture, some dry areas of the Central Plains uh, winter wheat belt uh, that's adding to the pressure on wheat prices today. Um, so in the United States, it's less of a problem. Brazil, the drought continues to intensify as the corn crop goes through late pollination and early grain fill stage. Yep, that's a story to watch. We've been watching it, and uh, we'll be watching its impact. Real quick, real quick, soy oil demand with uh, the the biodiesel push from these climate programs still strong? Yeah, the renewable diesel demand continues to be strong. New plants being built, new uh, additional ones in the works. Uh, we really don't see an end right now to this uh, boom over the edible oil demand. Yep, a lot happening. All right. As always, Arlen, thanks for keeping us up to date. Appreciate it. Thank you. Arlen Sitterman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. A lot of uh, moving parts here, a lot of things happening. Well, another strong uh, uh, sign for the economy is ag equipment sales. Those numbers continue to be strong. Uh, seen a very strong first quarter. We're going to talk about that with Kurt Blades with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. What's behind that? We'll break down those numbers in the different categories. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. 
If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system, from global market access to local expertise. We'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, talking with Jim Mulhern, President and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation. Jim, I mentioned there's a difference of opinion or approach within the dairy industry. And as you know, the Dairy Business Association, Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, the Minnesota Milk Producers Association, and the Nebraska State Dairy Association announced their proposal. They're calling it Class 3 Plus. Uh, what are your thoughts, your reaction to their approach? And that's what a federal order hearing process is all about. So we will make our proposal. It will go into USDA if USDA decides to move forward. And we'll be asking for a national federal order hearing that will look specifically at the Class 1 price mover. This is a rifle shot approach to deal with a specific issue that arose, became clearly a problem uh, from the pandemic last year. And USDA will decide if they want to take this issue to a hearing. In doing that, they will take testimony from other interested parties. Anybody can offer a proposal. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. How many acres are you keeping an eye on? Another pair of eyes could be very helpful in protecting your ROI, especially ones that are highly trained. And that's what you'll get with an FS Crop Specialist. They can spot issues you might not even know you have using the latest technology, including thermal, drone, and NDVI imaging. Then they can get an early treatment plan started. Contact your local FS Crop Specialist to learn more about our crop scouting services. It's one more way FS is bringing you what's next. Step right up and engage upon this miraculous substance I hold in the palm of my hands. This little miracle can feed us, clothe us, give us clean, fresh water, and provide wildlife habitat for nature's critters. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the greatest Learn more about soil health principles that can turn your soil into a star performer. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station.
DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day, our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So each month we talk it over with Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. We get the latest numbers on ag equipment sales. And Kurt, not only do we have another strong month, but now we can look at a very strong quarter to start off the year. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, today we want to talk specifically about sort of the, the first quarter and what that uh, what that's sort of looking like for uh, for equipment sales across all those categories. Yeah, let's break it down. And uh, some areas we've seen strength in throughout, maybe some other areas we're starting to see a growing uh, strength. Uh, kind of break it down for us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the, the main story that we want to talk about, is, as, uh, as we've been talking about for the year, really is this under 40 horsepower tractor market. And it can, just continues to be so strong. And, uh, you know, we're hearing that uh, you know across lots of different uh you know, lots of different environments as well, but uh, you know, certainly started to take the uh, the attention of Wall Street and uh, an invested community as well as they look at that under forty horsepower tractor market that is, you know, literally you know fifty percent above where it was you know this time last year. About twenty thousand more units uh, of those under forty horsepower tractors have been sold this year. Pretty great stuff. Yeah, and let's look into that even closer. Who's buying those tractors? Well, it's it's a a lot of people. Uh, there certainly are some farmers uh, that you know may need a small utility tractor or a compact utility tractor. But for the most part, that's going to uh, suburban landowners and people that uh, maybe have a little bit bigger acreage and looking to do just a maybe a little bit of a improvement in their uh, on their land or just wanting something else uh, as they're investing in their property. You know, I'll tell you what we're seeing is is really what's showing up. And I'm sitting here in Des Moines, Iowa. And, and uh, you know, you drive by the, the the dealership lots, and there are not a whole lot of small tractors, regardless of the brand. And I think people are picking them up left and right. Now, what about the larger tractors? What's the strength there? Well, the large tractors have been have been uh, solid, and uh, you know they've been solid for about the last eight months. But I'll tell you, you know, we've had so many great months uh, or so many great weeks recently around uh, commodity prices. And we're seeing some real strength in those row crop tractors. I mean, those uh, over 100 horsepower tractors are really starting to show some nice signs of life. And with the you know with the corn soybean prices that we're seeing right now, I'd expect those numbers to hold, hopefully throughout the rest of the year. Uh, you know, providing uh, you know the, the the markets hold and the crop crop comes in. I mean, we're seeing a lot of optimism out there. But boy, those numbers uh, you know kind of across the board, we're seeing some pretty sizable increases in percentages. And all of those markets that have, have really you know played out played out well for the for the ag economy, but also have made manufacturers uh, 
uh, you know, they, they certainly have enjoyed quite a few sales there as well. Okay, so with higher commodity prices, we're seeing a stronger demand for, for new equipment. What about the, the supply to meet that demand? Well, the, that one gets a little bit more, you know, a little bit more challenging. You can't, uh, you can't turn on a newscast today that, that doesn't talk about supply chain issues. And it's not limited to agriculture, but certainly we're part of that same environment where, you know, there's a, you know, a, a well-documented uh, microprocessor uh, uh, shortage. And so, you know, a lot of ag equipment falls into that category, but there's also some shortages on steel and there's shortages in transportation. There's shortages in, in, uh, you know, labor, it's sort of across the board. So we're seeing some real pressures on the, on the supply chain. And, and that's, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of unfortunate as we, as we look at, you know, we do our best to meet the demand, but there's certainly a lot of demand out there. Now I would say that as we talk about that supply chain, you know, as farmers are uh, in the field right now, planting number one priority has been, let's make sure we get the parts that are available to make sure that we can get this crop in the ground. So that's the first priority, but we certainly want to make sure that we, you know, minimize any of those supply chain issues that are sort of prevalent across all of the industries and certainly across the you know, equipment manufacturing rates. Does this look like a long-term issue, short-term issue? What are you seeing? Well, it's it's tough to tell. I mean, I think the the supply chain issues that we're dealing with right now are very much, you know, kind of a perfect storm of things that came together. So you can look at you know, increased demand that came across as a result of the pandemic, kind of on those tractor markets that we talked about before, coupled with, you know, in different pockets around the world, you know, some of the factories did shut down for a while, and we are in a global market for some of those components. So, you know, whether whether the components were made in the States or made somewhere else, there was just disruption that may have caused some of that slowdown. And you couple that with, you know, the transportation issues that were pandemic-related, then we it's kind of a perfect storm. We'll work our way through that, but I'd say it, you know we're dealing we're going to be dealing with supply chain issues for probably about the next six to eight months until we sort of work our way through you know that demand uh, those demand issues and then we, as the supply chain really gets up to, to hitting on all four cylinders. And we've seen improvement in Canada. What about that market? Well, Canada, you know, is is uh, so closely related to the United States in terms of its. Uh, it's, it's equipment sales market. What was what has been really promising with Canada is you look at the overall ag economy in, in Canada, specifically in Western Canada. It's been tough out there. It's been really tough, and so we're pretty pretty happy to see that you know farmers are making a little bit more money, and there's kind of a light at the end of the tunnel of some of those really bad bad times that have been out there. And so we saw we started to see some recovery, uh, not just in the small tractors, but uh, towards the end of the last year. And early, early this year, we're seeing, you know, some, some stable growth. I wouldn't say it, it's as, certainly not as strong as it's been in the United States, but stable growth. And we're, we're happy about that because that's a pretty good indication that farmers may be making a bit more money up, up, in, uh, up in Canada right now. So things are looking better. Still some bumps and challenges along the way, but uh, we seem to be headed in a good direction. Here's some strong numbers. Kurt, as always, good to talk with you. Thank you.
You bet. Thanks for having me on. All right. Take care. Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. All right. That wraps it up for today. Lots going on tomorrow. More reactions to the America the Beautiful plan by the Biden administration. As we'll take a look at agriculture's response to that and also look at the some uh, encouraging ethanol export numbers and a new report out showing the environmental benefits of uh, ethanol. That's coming tomorrow. Join us on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.